Good to see all of you this morning at our 11 o'clock service. Psalm 1, the very first psalm, the front door of the book of Psalms this morning as we continue our series on David, the worshiping warrior of God. And before you uh, maybe find that or as you're finding that, uh, I wanted to uh, offer this invitation today. Two weeks from today, on Sunday, March 17th, we are going to be offering anointing at the end of both the 9 and 11 o'clock services. Several times a year, the Spirit of God stirs within me that we need to offer this. And uh, even as Nicole was saying and praying and talking about how the Spirit of God is with us always and God is with us always, you know, there's seasons of, of our life and there's times in our life where we need God's affirmation and assurance that he's with us. And anointing is one way to, to do that, to, to know that the hand of the Lord is upon us in, in this time. So I wanted to share that with you, not only so that maybe some of you would want to be anointed and be here that Sunday, but also you may have a, a family member, a coworker, a friend, or whatever that you feel like would, would really benefit and be blessed by being anointed uh, just invite them and make sure that they're here on Sunday, March the 17th, two weeks from today. So today, as we are in Psalm 1, we are reminded, obviously, that all the Psalms are worship songs. They are Israel's worship book, right? They, they are songs to be sung in praise of our God. But just like many of the Psalms, this psalm is a psalm of wisdom. And it is a reminder to us that worship and wisdom go together. Uh, as Jesus said, God the Father is looking for worshipers, those who will worship me in spirit and in truth. There needs to be that balance. And so in order to worship God uh, effectively, uh, we need to worship God the way he reveals he wants to be worshiped. You and I can't come to God as sincere as we may be as human beings and go, God, I want to worship you, but I'm going to worship you my way. I'm going to worship you the way I want to worship you. No, God has revealed in his word the way he wants and desires to be worshiped. And that's why we have to combine our worship with wisdom and with truth and with the word of God. And you find that in Psalm 1. Psalm 1 also is an invitation. It is a reminder to us that life is filled with choices and that you and I make choices every day. God is sovereign, but in his sovereignty and within his sovereignty, he has given us the ability to choose, to choose him and to choose our life even after him. And that's what Psalm 1 is all about. In fact, before we get into Psalm 1, I want to remind you of something that Jesus said to his followers. It's recorded for us in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. It is the equivalent, if you will, of Psalm 1. Jesus said to his followers, Enter into the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and spacious is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who enter that gate. But narrow is the gate, and the way is very difficult, that leads to life, and few find it. That's sobering, because the Lord of glory, who is never wrong, is saying that in the history of mankind, 
there are going to be many more people who choose the path of destruction than the path of life. The choice is up to us. And even as Christians, we have choices to make. So in this psalm, you're going to see contrasting roads or paths. You're going to see contrasting images. You're going to see contrasting promises and finally, contrasting destinies. Because one of the things, too, that we are reminded of in this psalm that invites us to the choices that we make is that our choices have eternal ramifications and consequences. That it's not just about the here and now. And that's why, in a sense, then, none of our choices are really small choices. They're all big choices because they all are going to impact and influence eternity, either ours or someone else's. So let's get into it this morning. First of all, looking at the first two words. How blessed. Let's stop there. Let's be reminded as the people of God. So I'm, I'm not talking to those who do not have a relationship with God yet, haven't made that choice of Jesus. I'm talking to us who are saved we have trusted in Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. We all need to remember and be reminded and appreciate and be grateful and thankful for how blessed we are. Amen. We are a blessed people. John says in 1 John 3, 1, see what sort of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God. And Paul says in Ephesians 1, 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms in Christ. Notice something. The blessing is past tense. He has, in other words, Paul is saying, the moment a person trusts Christ, God pours out every spiritual blessing upon us. Not some spiritual blessings, not several spiritual blessings, every spiritual blessing. So many times as Christians, I think we're missing it a little bit because we're praying for spiritual blessings that we've already received. We need to just simply appropriate them, be aware of them, and live in them, okay? And, and, and so we are a blessed people. Now, part of the problem is, even as Christians many times, we focus on the material, physical, and earthly, worldly blessings. And, and because we aren't getting all of those blessings, we somehow have adopted the worldly, we're not very blessed people. Whenever we are literally living with every spiritual blessing imaginable being poured out on us the moment we trusted in Christ as our Savior. So let's start there. How blessed. But then notice how the author of Psalm 1 describes, first of all, these contrasting paths or roads. He says, how blessed is the one who does not follow the advice of the wicked or stand in the pathway of sinners or sit in the assembly of the scoffers. First of all, note something. Note the progression. It starts out with someone walking or following and then all of a sudden they stop walking because they've been captivated or enamored and so they're standing they're standing still now. They're not continuing to walk. And then eventually they're 
sitting. They're, they're literally settled in. They, they've sort of ingratiated themselves. And, and notice it's about what a person should say no to. In other words, the blessed life, the godly path is known by what we say no to before what we say yes to. And so I'm going to make a statement here today, and I believe with all my heart that this is the truth. What we say no to will define our life more than what we say yes to. Because many of us aren't living the blessed life God wants us to live because we can't say no. We've got to learn to say no. Now, I realize that what the author is talking about here in Psalm 1 isn't exhaustive, but let's look at what he does say. He says, first of all, say no to the way the world thinks. That's when he says, don't follow the advice of the wicked. There is a worldly way of thinking. And even Paul in Romans 12 says, do not be conformed to this world. Don't let the world sort of squeeze you into its mold. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind, right? So first of all, say no to the way the world thinks. Then second, say no to the way the world lives. Don't stand in the pathway of sinners. Don't be captivated or enamored or lured away by the way they are living, their lifestyle. And then finally he says, don't or say no to the things that the world settles for. Or I'll say it this way, don't settle for what the world settles for. Don't sit in the assembly of the scoffers. Don't, don't seek to belong to the world. You already belong to the king of kings and lord of lords. There, there's nothing that the world or the people of this world can offer the people of God that's better than what God is offering and has already given us because we're blessed. So he starts out by saying, here's one road, the way of the world. And, you know, other passages, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, they're all passing away, but the one who does the will of God will abide forever. So over and over again, we get that theme. So, first of all, say no to that path. But then in verse 2, he says, but say yes to this. And again, this isn't the only thing, but he's bringing something that is representative of one who is willing to go down the path or the road that God has for them and be blessed. And so he said, instead, be the person who delights in the word of God, in the Bible, in what God has revealed, and meditate on God's word day and night. Let's talk about the word delight. It means that the word of God should be my delight, my joy, my pleasure. I should love the word of God. I should value the word of God. It should become precious to me. It should be something that I cherish. This word also in the original language speaks about, about having a bent towards something. 
So in other words, God is saying, you want to live a blessed life? You want to go down my path? Have a bent to the word of God. Lean in and lean towards the word of God at all times. Let it cut a groove deep into your heart and your soul. Let the word of God shape your heart and mind. Let it be what gives you your perspective, your priorities, your outlook, and all of that. You devote yourself to the word of God. We need to be men and women of the book. Men and women of the Bible, you see. And we will be blessed if we saturate our minds with the word of God, if we immerse ourselves in the word of God. I don't care what translation you use. The best translation is the one you'll read. That's what I tell people all the time. If you'll get into it and you'll read it, then use it. But get into the word of God. Read it, meditate, memorize, study it, hear it, listen to it, whatever. Saturate your mind with the word of God. And then he goes on to say, meditate day and night. It means to ponder, to consider, to think over, to think through, to ruminate, to speak over yourself or to yourself the word of God. Speaking truth to yourself from God's word. Let God's word be what defines you. Not what you think, not what others think, not what the world thinks, but what God thinks. Turn God's truth over and over in your minds. Some of you who are more into the farm thing and whatever can appreciate this illustration. It's a, a cow chewing its cud. That, that's literally what this word means. Something that's just sort of, yep, I'm just going to chew on that. The Bible says we should be chewing on the word day and night. It should become a part of us. It, it shouldn't be something that, that we hold at a distance, but something literally that we bring in and internalize, and it, it's engraved upon our hearts and our minds. And so you see in the first two verses, we have a choice. And there's two different paths, two different roads, if you will. And they contrast. There's this road and there's that road. Which road will we take? Then in verses 3 and 4, we have contrasting images. The author of, of, of Psalm 1 is saying, look, if you go down this road with God, the, the God path, the God road, the road that leads to the blessing of God, here's what your life is going to look like. He says, you're going to be like a tree that's planted by flowing streams. You're going to yield your fruit in its proper time. Your leaves are never going to fall off, and you're going to succeed in everything you attempt. Now, here's what I'd like to do. For you note takers and, and you folks that like memory things to be able to remember the principles we talk about, I'm going to give you seven words that start with the letter P that, that sort of describe what the author of Psalm 1 is saying our life can look like when we go down the God path. First, let's start with the first P, planted. It means you will be rooted. You will be grounded. Your life will be built on a solid foundation. You will be stable. You will be settled. That's the kind of person that, that we can become when we go down the God path and choose that path. 
Is your life planted? Are you rooted and grounded in Jesus Christ and in his word? Is there a settledness? Is there a stability to your life? Then the second P, provided. Notice that this person makes sure that they are situated as that tree by flowing streams so that there is this continuous flow of spiritual nourishment flowing into our life so that we can remain strong and and bear fruit, okay? Um, We need to choose to put ourselves in spiritual environments where we're fed, where we can grow, where we can prosper. And that's the picture, planted, then provided for. Now, I've used this illustration before, but it's certainly uh, something that can apply today as well. I want you never to look at your Christian life as a cup that is right side up. Somehow that you, you look at it as God is filling me up, but then it gets empty. I, I want you more correctly and biblically to look at your life as a cup that has the bottom cut out. And instead of it remaining straight up, you tilt it over. And that your life is this cup that literally the flow, the river, the water of life just flows through you and out from you. And and there's this continual flow so that you are, in a sense, living and ministering out of the overflow of what God is doing in you. And you are putting yourself in a place where the rivers of, of God's fresh water is continually flowing in and through you and out of you. Okay? So, planted, provided. Then the next one, productive. Yields its fruit. You will be a fruitful person, not just bearing the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5, and 23, but simply being beneficial and a blessing to all around you. You will be a fruitful tree, you see. You will be a, a tree that, that not only provides fruit, but because you're strong and whatever, you have this great uh, shaded canopy that others can be refreshed in your shade and be strengthened in your shade and all of that. That's the kind of picture that God has for the one that f- walks down the path of God. A productive person, a beneficial person, a profitable person. You know, you and I all know that there are, there are people that, that we can hang out with, even other Christians, that are, that are very refreshing and very resourceful. And, and when we leave their presence, we feel full and, and all of that. And there's other people we feel absolutely drained and sapped from, you know. God wants us to be the kind of person that, that people can come around us and, and they, can, they can be refreshed. They can be strengthened through our productivity. You see, that just is naturally going to flow. Just like Jesus said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. You just stay connected to me. You don't have to worry about being fruit. You'll naturally bear fruit because you're connected to the power source. You're connected to the life, you see, of the vine. And then the next is actually two words that start with P, precise and perception. Because notice he says, yield its fruit at the proper time. That means at a fitting time, at an appropriate time, when it matters the most. It's not just about bearing fruit or being fruitful. It's about doing it when it's most appropriate and fitting. 
I love that verse out of Proverbs. It says, a good word, a fitting word, an appropriate word is like apples of gold in settings of silver. You see, there's a time where I could say something, even something that's true, but it might not be the best time. It might not be the most fitting or appropriate time. So as I walk down God's path, God gives me the perception, the insight, the discernment to not only know what to say, but when it's best to say it. And not only when it's best to say it, when it's most fitting and appropriate to say it, but when it matters most. When I need to rise to the occasion and speak up or stand up for something because somebody needs to, you know, that's what this means. Then, the next word, persevering. Leaves will never fall off. There will be a steadfastness. There will be a consistency, a constancy. In a sense, you will be an evergreen. People will know what they're getting in you and with you. You're not going to be like some people, like you sort of, you approach them and their presence with fear and trepidation because you don't know what you're going to get. One day you could get Dr. Jekyll and the next day you could get Mr. Hyde. You just don't know because they're up and down. They're, they're a roller coaster. God wants us to be so planted and provided for and productive and precise and have that perception from him that, that we can have this persevering constancy and consistency where people know we're just the same. You know, no matter what comes into our life, because we're, we're, we're building our life on the solid foundation of God, you see. And then finally, whatever we attempt, we find success. So the final P word, prosperous. God wants his people to be prosperous. He wants us to be able to achieve and accomplish things through him. And we will and we can make a difference every single day if we follow the path of God, the path of blessing. But notice the contrast, verse 4, of these images. Not so the wicked. They are like the wind-driven chaff. By the way, we need to define the word wicked from the Bible. The word wicked doesn't mean a serial killer. I mean, when we think of somebody who's wicked, we think of like the most awful person in society. No, no. The word wicked simply means one who lives as if God doesn't exist or doesn't matter. Remember that? Because even Christians can say, oh, I love God, whatever. But then you look at their life and it's like, well, God's really not a big priority to them. God's not of great value or worth to them because their life would look different. Their priorities, their, their choices, their decisions would be different if God really was important and significant to them. That's simply what the word wicked means. And notice then how the wicked is characterized in comparison or contrast to the godly, blessed person. Godly person is planted, stable, settled. Now, the wicked... They're like the wind-driven chaff. See, God's people are to be directed by him. We have a compass, and our compass is God, his spirit, and his word. That's what we're directed by. The wicked, they're driven by every force that comes down the pike. Every, every voice, every new thing, every uh, 
new theology, whatever. They're just, because they're not settled. And so they're carried away all the time. You see, the chaff is the husk that surrounds the seed. And, and in the, the uh, threshing floors of the Middle East, especially in Bible times, when they would winnow the grain, the, the chaff would easily separate from the seed itself, and it would fly all over the threshing floor. I'm sure it wasn't good for their lungs to breathe all of that junk in, but that's exactly what happened. It was flying all over the threshing floor. Why? Because it was separated from its source of life. There was no substance to it. You see, at least, at least the, uh, the kernel of wheat, it had some weight to it. It had some substance to it, so it would drop to the threshing floor. The chaff, it was so light, it would just fly away. And the Bible is saying, that's the way of the wicked. There's no substance to them. Everything is surface. There's no root. There's no depth to their life. So as forces come into their life, they're just carried from this one to that one. God doesn't want us to be chaff. God wants us to be that firmly planted tree. You see? that firmly planted tree. And so we have, in the first two verses, contrasting roads or paths. In verses 3 and 4, we have contrasting images. Then beginning in verse 5, contrasting promises. Because the author of Psalm 1 says, For this reason, because the wicked have no root to them, no depth to them, they are wind-driven, they will not be able to withstand the day of judgment. Nor will sinners be part of the assembly of the godly. Notice the assembly of the godly is also contrasted up in verse 1 with the assembly of the scoffers. Two different assemblies going on here, right? Let's talk for a moment because this is eternally important. The Bible clearly tells us that every human being is appointed unto death and after this the judgment. So every human being is going to have to stand before the judgment of God. And yet the Bible clearly says there's going to be two kinds of people at the judgment. Those who can withstand judgment and those who can't, according to verse 5. How can a human being withstand the judgment of God? By accepting Jesus Christ as your Savior. Amen. By standing not in our righteousness, but in the righteousness that only Jesus Christ can provide. Let me make this very clear to all of us today. The only way we can all withstand the judgment of God is to make sure that we have Jesus Christ as our Savior. Amen. That's it. That is it. Have you trusted in Christ? There is no other way to withstand the judgment of God. We must stand in the righteousness that Jesus Christ provides for us. 2 Corinthians 5.21, He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. We're not righteous in and of ourselves, but we are made righteous through Jesus. He gives us. He not only takes away our sin, he gives us his righteousness. And that's how you and I can stand before God. It's not about good works. It's not about spiritual power or anything. Listen, Jesus even said, there will be many 
who say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not cast out demons? Have we not done many wonderful works? And Jesus will look them right in the eye and say, depart from me. I do not know you. Because it's about a relationship. It's not about good works. It's not about being a good person. It's not even about exercising spiritual power. That's not the evidence of salvation. The evidence of salvation is have we trusted in Christ as our Savior? Because even our own righteousness, the Bible says, is like filthy rags before a holy God. So, he says, they won't be able to stand because they're going to be standing in their own righteousness. And that is not good enough for a holy God. Only Jesus' righteousness. And then he goes on to say, oh, and by the way, they won't enjoy the assembly of the godly. They chose to belong to the world rather than to God's family. So throughout all of eternity in glory in heaven, they won't be a part of that because the Bible says that once this judgment comes, there is an unbridgeable space between that path and the destiny of those people and the destiny of the other people. In fact, Jesus even talks about that in the story of the rich man and Lazarus when Abraham, you know, the, the rich man says, well, you know, send somebody over to talk to my brothers. And he says, uh, there's an unbridgeable space here. There's a chasm that cannot be crossed. Once you've made that choice, you are locked into that choice for all of eternity. That's pretty sobering. That's pretty important. We better know we need to make the right choice here and that we're given that opportunity now. Now is the time to make that choice. Now is the day of our salvation, you see. So that's the promise to the ungodly. But then notice in verse 6, the promise to the godly. Certainly the Lord guards the way of the godly. Amen. And notice in verse 6 again the contrast between the way of the godly and the way of the ungodly that he's going to talk about in just a moment. The word guard means to watch over, means to care and have concern for. It, it speaks about the, the intimacy, if you will, that God literally watches over his own people. And that, that implies, obviously, an intimate, personal relationship that God has. God is always with us. He's always watching over us. We are always in his care. That's the promise from God. I will guard you. I will watch over you. I will provide. I will protect. But then notice the contrast. But the way of the ungodly will lead to destruction. And destruction isn't annihilation. Destruction is the loss of everything that is worthwhile, everything that really will matter, everything that is eternal. You see, what those that live as if God doesn't exist or doesn't matter, they live their lives for just what this world has, for material things, physical things, the Worldly prestige, worldly power, uh, worldly popularity. They're, they're trying to grab everything of the world. And yet when they die, as the Bible says, naked we came in and naked we go out. They can't carry any of that stuff on into eternity. It's all left behind. Which is why Jesus then encourages us and exhorts us, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Invest in eternal things. 
Make the choices of your life and how you're going to live your life for the things that really matter so that a million years from now, a billion years from now, when we're still living in eternity, there's going to be things that we can still carry with us. We're going to be so glad we made those choices because 10 zillion years from now, when we're still in eternity with the Lord, those are the choices that stick. All these other investments, we can't take it with us. And it's not going to matter. In fact, a minute after all these people die as if God doesn't exist or doesn't matter, all the stuff that they thought matters, they realize it didn't matter. It didn't matter. And then obviously, these contrasting roads lead to contrasting images, which leads to contrasting promises, which then obviously leads and implies to contrasting destinies. Because there's two dis different destinies we're talking about here, and destinies for eternity. We're talking about those of us who have chosen God and chosen to go down the path of God and are recognizing how blessed we are. And we're getting stronger every day through our Lord. And it's going to lead to a, an eternity in glory that will never end. And an eternity with the God who loves us more than anyone or anything else ever could. And we're going to be part of the assembly of the godly. And we're going to rule and reign with Christ forever and ever and ever. But there's another destiny that's just as real. And folks, those who choose that destiny, and please hear me, God didn't choose that destiny for you. You chose to reject the free offer of salvation in Jesus Christ. The Bible clearly says God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. God's desire and heart is that every last person he brought into this world would have accepted his son Jesus and went to glory with him. But here's the thing. In his sovereignty and in his wisdom, God says, I got to give you a choice. I got to give you a choice. Because I don't want people to choose me in a sense because they had no choice. I want people to choose me because they want me. That I'm their desire. That I'm their treasure. That I'm who they cherish. And so Psalm 1, front door of the Psalms, it's where it all begins. And it's laid out there pretty clear for us. The Bible says, two paths, many choices, so today, if you're here today and you know in your heart you don't have a standing with God because you don't have Christ as your Savior, I want to encourage you as strongly as I can encourage you. Trust him today. Receive his love. Bring him into your life and let that personal relationship begin. Because if you go out into eternity and you don't have Jesus Christ to stand in on that day, as Psalm 1 said, you have no standing on Judgment Day. You have no standing. 
And that's a decision that you made that will matter for all of eternity. But even for us who are Christians, our life is shaped by choices and by decisions that we make every single day. Our life is shaped by our priorities and our values every day. And I think this psalm is reminding us, what am I living for? What am I here for? Am I really choosing God's best offer? Or am I listening too much to the world, to their advice, to their way of thinking, to their lifestyle? Am I more interested in belonging to the world and to the things of the world? And what about saying no and saying yes? Through our time of worship and through our time in the word today, is God's spirit impressing upon you, I need to start saying no to this so that I can say yes to this? Because God has something better for me and I can't really throw myself into that because I'm not willing to say no to these other things that are not as good as this is. See, sometimes the choice isn't between something that's good and bad. That's obvious. Sometimes for us, the hard choices are between what's better and what's best. And God wants us to always be in a position where we're, we're willing to be able to choose God's best over even something that's good. So I'm going to ask Nicole and our worship team to come now. And as they come, I'm going to ask you to remain seated for just a moment because we are going to stand and sort of finish out our time in God's house in just a moment. But I just want to encourage, first of all, any of you who are here today and you're not sure that if you were to die right now that you could withstand the judgment of God. I want you to know that you know that you know before you leave God's house today and walk off this property that you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. These things are written, John says, that you might know that you have eternal life. God doesn't want you to guess. God doesn't want you to hope so. God wants you to know so. Do you know that you know that you know? And then secondly, if you are a Christian here today, is God's spirit moving in you today? to say, Lord, I need to learn to say no to some things so that I can say yes to your best offers. So I want to ask you now to stand with me. And would you just bow your heads and close your eyes with me for just a moment? No one looking around but me. I want to give an invitation because Psalm 1 is an invitation. So I want to ask today, is there someone here that would say, Pastor Jeff, I'm not sure I am a Christian or I know that I'm not a Christian, but I would love to accept Jesus Christ as my Savior today. I want to make that choice today. I, I want to nail that down today. And if there is someone here today in that position, I would just ask that you would just raise your hand and put it right back down just so I could be praying for you. Is there anyone at all? No one else is looking around but me. Anyone at all today? You would say, I, I want to trust Jesus as my Savior today. 
How about Christians? Are there any of you that would say, you know, Pastor, God's Spirit is stirring within me. I need to make some different choices and decisions in my life. I need to learn to say no so that I can say yes to God's best. And I want to ask you to pray for me because, listen, if you start to make that decision, guess what? You're going to be hit with all kinds of stuff. The enemy's going to come at you. And listen, we all know that when we make one decision, it's like a domino thing. Other things are going to be affected by it. So it's not just like a decision in a vacuum. We don't live our lives in a vacuum. So I want to pray for all of you today who might be right now wanting or needing or desiring to make some kind of choice, some kind of decision today, to say yes to something from God. Would you just simply raise your hand and put it back down so that I can be prayed for? Yes, yes, yes. Decision, hands all over. Thank you. Thank you. I will be holding all of you who raised your hands up in prayer. As we finish out our time today, we're singing a song about the endless hallelujah. It is a reminder to us that our decisions and choices are no small thing. They literally affect, impact eternity. And so may we find that joy in being part of the assembly of the godly who will be singing this endless hallelujah forever and ever and ever, recognizing how blessed we are and realizing that more than ever, we want to go after all that God has for us. So would you join me as we sing?